Happy Resurrection Sunday, everyone. He is risen. Let's try that one more time. When I say he is risen, I want to hear you loudly, especially out there, say he is risen indeed. Here we go. He is risen. He is risen. Amen. That's right. Jesus is alive because 2,000 years ago, he walked on this earth like you and I do, and he, unlike us, though, was perfect. He lived a perfect life so that he could be the perfect sacrifice for our sins. He died on Good Friday, but his death was not in vain. In fact, he rose again on Sunday so that he would defeat death once and for all. Anyone who calls on the name of the Lord will now be saved through the gospel message of Jesus. That is what we're here to celebrate. And so I want to welcome you, especially if you are visiting. My name's Jose, and we, Cypress Creek Church, are a group of imperfect people who are all on a journey to follow the perfect risen Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. So it is great to see you. It is beautiful day out there. Love to see folks enjoying the weather. Nice and cool. Garage doors and up. You really can't ask for much more. We're going to celebrate baptisms after this gathering. We're going to drop eggs from a helicopter. Are you kidding me? I mean, it's like heaven on earth. It is fun to do this. And this morning, what I want to encourage us is, is to not only listen to the resurrection story, but to also take it personally. Is, is the resurrection of Jesus personal to you and to me. In Romans chapter 10, verse 9, Paul writes that anyone that declares with their mouth that Jesus is Lord and believes in their heart that, that God rose Jesus from the dead, that he actually resurrected his only begotten son, will be saved. We, talked about, we talk a lot about Christmas presents. We don't talk enough about the ultimate Easter present, and that is eternal life through Jesus. Do we take this personally? See, in chapter 8 of the book of Romans, Paul writes that the same spirit that rose Jesus from the dead lives in us. So he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your and to my mortal bodies because of his spirit who lives in you. Do you believe that this is true? Do you believe that Jesus really rose from the dead? This word believe also means trust. And I want you to think about what you trust in, maybe who you trust in. Right now, I trust this guy named Stephen, who's going to be piloting that helicopter that's going to take me up in the sky so that I can drop some Easter eggs for the kids so that they can feel valued and, and they can know that you can have a little bit of fun at church, right? And, and so uh, I trust Stephen. I, I trust my wife on a daily basis. We want to cultivate that trust in our relationship. Trust is a key ingredient in any relationship, and the same goes with our relationship with God. Do we trust God, in just a few minutes, you're going to hear two stories of a man and a woman who have trusted God through the highs and through the lows. I'm going to step aside here and Easter in this church. We celebrate it a little differently. We feature two real life stories, testimonies of resurrection. So you'll hear from a second, in a second, from Tom Vandewally and Melinda Skurlock. But before let's turn to God's word real fast and learn how Peter, 
One of Jesus's best friends teaches us how to trust in God. We're in Matthew chapter 14, setting the stage. Jesus has just fed 5,000 people, and he's told his disciples, hey, go on a boat. I'll meet you on the other side. Uh, the storms came, though. Around three in the morning is where we find ourselves. There is a storm. The disciples are afraid, and to add on top of that, they think they're seeing a ghost. It's not a ghost. It is Jesus walking on water. Here's what Matthew 14 has to say. Immediately, Jesus spoke to them, them being the disciples, saying, take heart, it is I, do not be afraid. And Peter answered him, Lord, if it is you, command me to come to you on the water. And he said, come. So Peter got out of the boat and walked on the water and came to Jesus. What an amazing miracle. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid and beginning to sink, he cried out, Lord, save me. Peter shows us how to trust in Jesus through these quick verses. First thing is Peter got out of the boat. Peter got out of the boat. Jesus called him, and Peter had faith and trusted in Jesus when he said, come. What would it look like for you to get out of your boat? What if your boat was your comfort zone? Trusting in Jesus means releasing control of our lives and letting him take a hold of our lives. What would it look like to take that next step in your faith journey? What is it? Maybe it's what we're going to celebrate out there. Maybe you have already said yes to Jesus and you now the next step would be to make that faith uh, proclamation public by celebrating and getting baptized. Maybe it's making Sunday morning a priority on your schedule to bring your family to church so that you can hear from God's word, be encouraged by God's people, and continue to learn what it looks like to follow him. Maybe it's joining a community group or you can come alongside people and live life together. Maybe it's confessing that sin that is festered in the darkness and truly being free from that as you walk in freedom with others. Maybe it's uh, resolving that conflict in your marriage or in a close relationship and acknowledging that we need help. Peter stepped out on the boat, and the reality is that life, once we trust in Jesus, is still not easy. He was distracted. The wind distracted him. The waves distracted him, and he therefore sunk. What are some distractions in our life that tend to sink us? Here are just a few. Maybe it's a circumstance that you find yourself in. Maybe it's a sickness or an unfortunate circumstance that you have no control over. Maybe it's your checkbook. It's your finances that, that are screaming at you that, that, that are sinking you. Maybe it's a full calendar filled with good things, but busy things, your kids' activities, so forth. Maybe it's your career, the, the questions of your future, or maybe it is the people that surround you, this crowd that you find yourself in that are actually bringing you down, or maybe it's any other concern that brings stress and anxiety that this morning you have an opportunity to say, Jesus, I trust you with this thing, because here's the thing. Right after Peter uttered the two most important words that any human can say to God, Lord, save me, the Bible says that Jesus 
immediately, everyone say immediately, immediately reached out his hand, took hold of him, saying to him, oh, you of little faith, why did you doubt? And when they got into the boat, the wind ceased and those in the boat worshiped him, saying, truly, you are the son of God. What are the things that are holding us back from wholeheartedly putting our trust in God? I hope that this morning, as we hear from Tom, as we hear from Melinda, something would stick out and that we would walk out of here knowing that we are trusting God more than we came in. Please help me give a loud round of applause to Tom and Melinda. Good morning and happy Easter. Thanks. Uh, I managed to make it through the first two times without uh, blubbering, but my family's here, so no promises for this one. <laughs> I hope you guys feel the same joy, peace, love that I feel when I sit in this church. Um, it's been a life changer for me, and uh, if you get it, give it a shot, give it a chance. It'll do the same for you. My life has always been about the feeling, or having the feeling that I was in control, or at least putting on the appearance to the outside that I was in control. Does that resonate with anybody out there in this audience? I was born in Hondo, Texas, the youngest of seven kids. Um, I have five older brothers and an older sister. And I think by the time I came along, my parents were tired. <laughs> my dad worked long hours to try to put food on the table for us. And as a result, I didn't get much one-on-one -on -one time with him. As a matter of fact, I can remember two, um, total of two conversations, one-on-one -on -one conversations with my dad. And unfortunately, they were just about um, sport, a sporting event that I just played in. So uh, a few years ago, he commented that I was an easy kid and that my brothers raised me, but I don't think he understood how deep that cut. Um, being raised by my brothers was being like being raised by a pack of wolves. Uh, anytime they saw that I had thought that I did something wrong, uh, the justice was swift and it was usually physical. Um, there was definitely not any conflict resolution taught in our house in any way. The only time we'd get some resolution is if um, my mom would have, had had enough of the screaming and she'd go to the closet where my dad kept the belts and she'd rattle the belts and the noise it made on the nail that it was hanging on was the signal that you need to get out of the house or they were coming for you. So the, but the result of me being raised by my siblings is that I learned to stay quiet I learned to keep my head down. That was the easiest way to avoid getting into some sort of fight. Uh, don't get me wrong, I love my family and I look up to my siblings, but I spent most of my life emotionally hiding and protecting myself. Unknowingly, I became, I started building walls around my heart to control the hurt and the isolation that I felt. So I looked to the influences in my life to try to find joy. And those influences were other teenagers and MTV. And I 
thought I had found the one thing that would bring me the most joy in my life, and that was alcohol. At 14 years old, I had my first beer. And, ten, and I thought that was the most disgusting thing I've ever drank in my life. And then 10 minutes later, I thought it was the most incredible thing I had ever drank in my life. And I spent the next 30 years of my life finding out that that was definitely not the truth. Most every heartache, bad choice, regret I have in my life was fueled by alcohol. But for some reason in those days, I felt like I had to drink until the cooler was empty and I was out of control. But from the outside, I had it all together. I did really good in school, did really good in sports, not that good, but anyway, I was an altar server in the Catholic Church. Um, we went to church every Sunday without fail. Knew my sacraments, I knew God and I knew his commandments but a personal relationship with Jesus Christ was just not something that I even thought possible. Graduating from high school, I went to A&M. Thank you. I didn't have to do this the first two services. It's like, you should be awake by now. So uh, I made good grades. I was very fortunate to meet the woman of my dreams and my soulmate while I was there. Um, she was the first chink in the armor that I was building around my heart. She actually started to, I can't look at her because I'll start crying, started to uh, show me what was inside that vault. I, whenever we first met, I would try to be what, what I thought she wanted me to be instead of who I really was. And I remember when she called me out on that the first time, and she said, I don't want you to answer with what you think I want to hear. I want you to tell me, with, tell me who you really are. And the funny thing was, is I had no idea. Isn't that crazy? In college, I had no idea what my identity was. Sorry. If, I was, uh, if I'm to be completely honest, though, uh, the desires of my heart, the things I put my time into were not of God's will and were something I was not proud of. I got a degree in civil engineering, a um, couple great jobs out of school, climbed that uh, ladder of success that I thought would make me happy, but uh, not, it was not uh, the happiness that I was thinking. So I decided more school and a new adventure would be the answer. So with my wife's blessing, we went back to school and I went to dental school and uh, did well in school. Uh, started to practice, and with God's grace, that was successful. But all this time, still chasing that fleeting happiness. After dental school, we decided it was time to start a family. We had some rough difficulties. Don't do it. Don't look at her. Love, rough difficulties in the beginning. Miscarriages and surgeries took the place of the joy and the anticipation that we thought we would have starting our all-American family, but my wife is so strong, guys. We made it through, and by God's grace, we're blessed with two beautiful, wonderful, healthy kids. Up until this time, I thought that I could control things in my, in my life with hard work and dedication, but those of you who have kids know, that's thrown out the window. 
The challenges of parenthood seemed insurmountable some days, and the plan that we had made for our life was getting turned on its head. I felt a sense of hopelessness and despair that I had never felt before in my life. In retrospect, God was refining us. Our daughter in middle school came to Cypress Creek Church for summer hangout with a friend, and she came home and excitedly exclaimed to us that we really need to go to this church. And my answer to her was, we're Catholic. That was it. (laughs) But not so fast, my friend. God works again. Uh, Not long after, we decided that a new church home was what we needed. So we tried out a few different churches in the area, and Cypress Creek Church really spoke to us. My wife talked me into going to an encounter weekend, and I had really no idea what I signed up for. I'd never been a part of something where men so vulnerably shared their lives with each other, and I found myself telling my coach things that I had never told anybody else. I always thought that if I opened up the vault of my heart and showed people what was on the inside, that they would avoid me like the plague. But man, the opposite is so true. The more I opened up to the guys at Encounter, and the more that I share with my 6 a.m. Tuesday morning men's group, the closer we become. And shout out to my fellas out there. 6 a.m., it's early. It's early, but it's good. I will tell you that thanks to an awareness of the unchanging love of Jesus, I have gained control of my life again. I've found my identity. I'm a child of the Almighty, the creator of the universe, the loving and the merciful God. Hallelujah. What drove me to this? Did I hear God's voice booming out of the clouds? I mean, truth is, I've never audibly heard God speak to me. But if I listen and if I seek the acts of kindness of my friends and loved ones around me and the people he put in my life, and when I read my Bible, that's when I hear God speaking to me. He puts me in certain situations that are either insignificant at the time or extremely difficult. But looking back, he puts me where and when I need to be with the people that I need to be with. So why did I hit my knees and turn it all over to Christ? I mean, honestly, I was out of options. I had nowhere else to turn. He was my last resort. So I turned it all over to him, and I cried for help. And I'm so thankful that he scooped me up in his loving arms and poured into me with his true love. The crazy thing is, in order to gain control of my life, I had to turn control of my life over to him. I am truly, really ready and willing to say, I will be done. So here I am now. I still have hardships and I still have anxieties in life. I still slip and I still mess up. 
I still struggle with sin. But thanks to God's mercy and grace, I have a different outlook. I am truly working on the heart change that Jesus wants me to have. And I have this awesome church community to walk alongside me. So here's the message from my story, like Pastor Jose said in last week's message. If you rely on you, you will fail. If you rely on other people, unfortunately, they will fall short. The only consistent source of strength and control in your life is reliance on Jesus Christ. Amen? So here's the update on my dad. He stood faithfully by my mom's side for the last 15 years of her life when she couldn't take care of herself. He gave up all his freedoms to be her sole caregiver. He was an example to his family and to his community of what it means to be married in good times and in bad. And I'm so proud of the husband he was to my mom. He's 84 now and he has dementia. He's living in San Marcos in an assisted living center. I've fully forgiven him. I've fully forgiven him for falling short as a dad because he's human. He doesn't know that I've forgiven him. There's no need to tell him. It's not going to make me forgive him more. It's done. But he's vulnerable now, and now my Father in heaven is telling me I need to walk alongside him his last few years of his life. But the most important lesson that the Father in heaven has told me is I need to be in my kid's life. Every day, every conversation they want to have with me. So is there somebody in your life that you need to forgive? Is there unforgiveness that's festering, causing you to live your life? in a way that's not right or hurting you. I pray that you turn that over to God. And turn to our Father in heaven so that he becomes the focus of your life. God bless you all. Thank you very much. is a beautiful sight. Um, thank you, Jose, for letting me share, third time, uh, my story. Um, as I was thinking about this, I was thinking about um, a verse that really uh, gives me so much strength. It's John 3.30. He must be become more, and I must become less. Jesus told stories and parables. He told them to relate to people, to connect to people, and I hope that I can do the same in my story. I was raised by a single mother. She was very strong, very dedicated, very busy, probably tired as well. By the time I came along, I was 
the fourth. Um, but every summer, I went to my grandparents from the time I was two weeks to 17 years old and spent the entire summer in West Monroe, Louisiana. My grandparents were my spiritual influencers. So grandparents out there, and I am one, that is a very important privilege, and don't take it lightly. You can and will make a difference in their lives. In the summer of my 15th year, um, I went to a student retreat. My granddaddy made me. But um, it was much like focus, and I'll never forget that. I said yes to Jesus. I remember the invitation. I remember the song that was playing. But most of all, I remember my response, and that was yes. Well, I went home at the end of the summer in Houston, and I went back to my old lifestyle. I went back to my old friends. That was familiar. That was comfortable. But it wasn't the best choice for me. Jesus was not in that picture. I was constantly convicted from the Lord, but I was extremely rebellious. Fast forward three years, I went away to college, to the best college in Texas, Southwest Texas, Texas State. Are there any college students here? Thank you, thank you. Sorry, Tom. Um, But anyway, my purpose in going was to have fun just to have a blast, and it was an easy place to do so. In the spring semester, my boyfriend, who I dated in high school, came to join me. He happens to be sitting over there, um, because now he's my husband. But um, he came to join me, and we both changed our major. We changed our major to having fun, and we did it very successfully fraternities, sororities, intramural sports, you name it. Definitely river time. Partying was probably the biggest. We seized all those opportunities, but they weren't very responsible choices. And we didn't set aside much time for studying or church. Crosstalk students and Texas State students, if you're out there and you may not be, um, I just want you to know you are an inspiration to me. I've gotten to know some. They really have their head on right. They're seeking the Lord, and they're trying to follow him closely. I wish I had done that. So yay, Crosstalk and Texas State students. Keep it up. God has his hand on you. Well, the lifestyle I was leading, there are consequences. In the spring semester of our junior year, we found ourselves in a predicament. I was pregnant. We thought, well, the party was over, but we definitely thought it was over. We were in trouble. We were scared to death. And I remember that day so well. Um, My boyfriend and I went to a park in San Marcos, and we sat there facing each other. We faced God. We faced reality. Then we had to go home and face our parents. But it was so hard. We thought our life was coming to a crashing halt, but God, he had bigger plans. We confessed, we cried, we made up our mind to change our course and live for the Lord at that moment. So long story short, we quit school, we found jobs, we got married, and then several months later, we had a baby girl. She was precious and we loved her so much and we wanted her to know that Jesus loved her as well. 
it was hard. It was very hard. I don't regret any of it. But, and we loved being parents and we were involved in church. But later, and later we had two more girls and that was equally as much fun with their unique personalities. And we stretched our capacity to love them. We were committed to Jesus and that is what made the difference. Uh, Early in our marriage, we went to an inner city church where my husband grew up. And it was really because of those people there in this tiny little church that ministered and mentored us that really changed our lives. They definitely changed my life. They accepted me with all my sin and my shame and my insecurities. And at one point, this older gentleman, and as I told the other groups, he was probably my age, but I thought he was really old. Um, But his name was Richard Riley, and he said, Melinda, I want you to come help me with Vacation Bible School. And I was scared to do so. I didn't know anything about the Bible. I was insecure, but I did, and he encouraged me. And he considered me an A-team participant. I still felt like barely a D-minus, but really that was the beginning of my spiritual journey. I had no idea. After three or four years, we moved to a different church, Houston's First Baptist Church. That became our church home for almost 40 years. And through the next several decades, like all families, we had so many challenges, like I'm sure all of you do. And we had several crises that could have really wrecked our marriage and have wrecked our family, but God was there. Surprising, as I even read this, I mean, my faith grew stronger during that time, and that just seems unbelievable, but that was God. So moving on, I began to serve at the church. I began to just thirst and yearn for the Word of God, and I was growing in my faith. I started serving in the preschool ministry, which I will tell you is the best, and they are the best, and you can learn so much from them. Um, Many years later, my supervisor, and who was my mentor, the preschool minister, retired, and the pastor approached me, and he said, Melinda, would you consider taking this position? And I said, no, no thank you. It was way too big. It was an enormous job. Um, But he said, would you at least pray about it? I mean, what are you gonna do? Of course you're gonna pray about it. So I did, uh, but I knew I wasn't qualified. But part of the problem, I guess the major problem was that I had such deep-seated shame and insecurity, but God moved me. He gave me this verse, and it's in Psalms 32.8. It says, and I put my name in it, says, Melinda, I will instruct you and teach you the way to go. Melinda, I will counsel you and watch over you. And he was true to that. It was as if he was saying, I've been preparing you ever since you helped Richard Riley 100 years ago. Well, I took the job. It was enormous. I was in way over my head. There were lots and lots of children. Um, the ministry grew to about 800 preschoolers. And that was lots of teachers, lots of parents. Um, It was challenging, it was exciting, and most of the time, it was a lot of fun. 
I was able to go on mission trips, which helped me to grow in my faith as well. So I had a lot of opportunities during this time. But my favorite was I was able to teach children about Jesus and how much they loved him. I was able to minister to young women, some in my same position in the past, and I was able to counsel young moms, and that was so much fun. But the reason I tell you about any of this is not to boast on myself, because it wasn't me, I assure you. I was never the best equipped. I certainly wasn't the most talented. I wasn't the most educated, but I was available, and God blessed me. Our daughters have, us, have suffered through our mistakes, but we've survived. We've loved our life. We're grandparents now, and that's truly the best. Um, we recognize our role, though, as parents of adult children. We help when we're asked most of the time, but sometimes we offer that advice. But the advice that I'd give you if you have adult children is to truly pray hard for them. Truly be available, not enable, which I did sometimes. Set healthy boundaries. Let them know all the time you love them. Nothing they can do will change that. Since moving here to Wimberley, I retired. My husband did not, but I didn't know what God would have in store for us. I knew he would have something. My mother-in-law, who's a wise woman, always told us, you never retire from the things of God. There will always be opportunities to serve, and there have been. We came to Cypress Creek, I guess, 21. Last year was our first Easter, and we immediately got involved in community groups. I'm in two. We're in one together, and that's the best, so I'd highly encourage that. You'll meet friends, and you'll have that support that you need. It's amazing. And then I got involved in kids' ministry, as you might guess. And to me, that is awesome. And I think it would be to you as well. Um, as I close, I think about my mom. Um, she, was, she exemplified the importance of strength and character. But my grandparents, they instilled in me the spiritual truths and values that I grew up with. I didn't know it at the time. I was certainly rebellious but they did. And my end goal is to do the same. Thank you. I hope uh, we can give them another round of applause because that is very difficult to do. Thank you, Melinda. I lost you, Tom, wherever you are. He probably ran away. He's ready to get out of here. Did any of that resonate with you? Did any of that make you feel like there's somebody else? that's in this crazy thing called life with you. That's what we're here to do at Cypress Creek Church. We're here to walk together as we point and experience the love of the only perfect risen Savior, Jesus. I want to close by singing a song, but before we do that, I hope you got one of these on your way in. I want to talk about a few things that are in this. First of all, there are some really fun conversation starters that I hope that you take home and, and you, you share with your family and friends. And then there's this box. But the question that we talked earlier, what's holding me back from wholeheartedly trusting in 
God. Maybe it's one of those distractions. Maybe it's something that Melinda or Tom talked about. But, but I hope that we would first be aware of what those are and then second, hand them over to Jesus. We could do that in this time. We can do that later tonight after we process and reflect. But I want to encourage all of us to do that because that is what he wants to do in us. Raise us up. Whatever, whatever we have, we, we give to him. And then, and then he raises those things up. And, and we see a purpose in them that we couldn't have seen before we trusted them over to Jesus. And maybe that thing that we need to trust him with is our very life. And if that's the case, I'd love for us to rip this out. It's a decision card. You can do that today. You can do that next week, whenever. But if you're ready to say yes to Jesus, maybe you are like Peter was, drowning in the water. The only thing that you have is these two words, Lord, save me. He is ready to lift us up and to take hold of us, to hold us and say, I got you. I, I, I defeated death. I got you. I rose again from the dead. I got you. Wonder if you would feel compelled to fill this out, put it in one of the boxes back there, give it to somebody with a lanyard and say, I gave my life to Jesus this morning. Best decision that I've ever made, the best decision that we could ever have. There will be people praying, available for prayer here, there, outside. There'll be people with lanyards saying prayer. Please, I encourage you, if you want to be ministered to, let's not leave this place before we do that. The helicopter can wait. We're gonna sing this song, and afterwards we'll celebrate baptisms to my right, to your left, and the helicopter will be here soon, to my left and to your right. If you are able, let's stand and close in prayer. We thank you, Jesus, that you rose from the dead, that you gave us a way out, that you defeated death once and for all, that all who call upon your name have eternal life. Lord, if there is anyone in this house that is ready to say yes to you, ready to utter those two words, save me, I pray that they would repeat after me. If that's you, just say these words. Jesus, I surrender to you. I give you my life and receive the payment that my sin deserves that you paid for me on the cross. I receive everlasting life. Thanks to your resurrection.